All right, Shabbosai, good morning, good morning. Let us begin. Begin by thanking all of our sponsors for this morning. Sure to thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Tammuz. From Naftali Tilson, a very special for dedicating over Shemr Joshos this month. This month, in the commemoration of the yard sites of his parents, Rabbi Yona ben Avram Leib and Rivka Bas Yaakov, Zichron Bracha, we hope that on the merit of our Talmud Torah, Merit Hashem, the Neshamas should have an Aliyah and the family Zaynichama. We thank our Dafyomi sponsors for today, Baruch and Baruch and Baruch, excuse me, Baruch and Bracha Rifkin for the yard site of Libby Rifkin, Liba Bas Shal Halevi, Zichron Bracha. We hope that on the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Neshamas have an Aliyah. And the family in the Chama. And we thank our Dafyomi sponsors for today, Ira and Miriam Grossman, for Meretz Yisrael now, Baruch Hashem, for dedicating the Shur and the Schos, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will bestow Shalom upon all of Am Yisrael and all of Eretz Yisrael. In Meretz Hashem. We will say with that, let us, let us begin. So today's Daf is Nun Hei 55, and we are picking up in Meretz Hashem on Nun Dalar Amadez 54b. We left off just a few lines up from the bottom. Three lines up from the bottom. So remember again, just to reorient ourselves a little bit, we were focused on the Machlokizatina Baye and Rava. Now remember again, the Mishnah was speaking about a situation of Kohanim who go ahead and make a carbon pigle. So remember again, under those circumstances, that is still part of the topic of Hezek Sheinonikar, unrecognizable damage and the liability for that. By the way, just as an aside, we saw yesterday's daf, we saw yesterday's daf, that according to the Rambam, the Rambam Paskins, that Hezek Sheinonikar, Midda Araisa, one is not Chayif, Midra Banon, one is Chayif, if one does it, B'mezid, if one does it intentionally. Unintentional Hezek Sheinonikar, remember again, definition of Hezek Sheinonikar, unrecognizable damage. Unrecognizable damage. You change the status of something, but externally, one doesn't really, one cannot perceive any type of difference in the item. So, midaraisa, butter, midarabanon, if you do it intentionally, you're going to be chayev. Along those same lines, you saw the mission of Pigel. We then saw Machlokas Abaye and Rava. Namely, again, at what point in time are you permitted or are you believed to change the status of something? So, Abaye says, if it's in your possession, literally, Shabiyado, if it's in your hand, then you, are, then you are believed to change the status. Rava, you're believed to change the status if you tell the owner of this change the first time you encounter him. But if you don't share it with him the first time you encounter him, then Allah Almighty, you're not believed. So we then took this discussion over to these interesting cases of Sefer Torah. Right, the first case we saw of a person who goes there, Sofer writes the Torah, and then afterwards he goes and he tells the owner of that Torah, by the way, the names of Hashem that I wrote inside of it are not written lishma. Okay, so machlok. So both say so along the same lines. There was a guy who came before Rabbi Avo, and what happened? Avrelei sefer Torah shekasafti leploni gvilin shelo lo ibaratam lishma. So what happened? The sofer, right? The, the scribe, person who wrote the sefer Torah, comes to Rabbi Avo. So sofer will call him Ruvain. Ruvain says, "I wrote a sefer Torah for Shimon, but uh, listen, I have to tell you, the parchment was not tanned." Lishma. For Sefer Torah, Bosai, you can't just go ahead and buy parchment on eBay and start writing a Sefer Torah. Right? The parchment itself has to be prepared with the intention to use it for the mitzvah of Sefer Torah. That is called Lishma. Lishma. So now what happens in this case? Ruvain is over, right? writes the Sefer Torah, delivers it to the customer, to Shimon. And then after the fact, he comes before Rabbi Avo and he quote-unquote admits 
that the parchment was not prepared lishma. So the Gemara says, Amrle, so Amrlei Yavo says to Ruvain, who has the Sefer Torah now? Amrlei Biad Lokeach. Ruvain says, Shimon. Shimon the purchaser, right? The purchaser has it. Amrlo, Mitoch Sha'ato Ne'ema Lahafsid Scharcho, Ato Ne'ema Lahafsid Sefer Torah. So Sensha Biavo says to Ruvain, says, Look, you're believed. We're going to believe you. Why? Because when you make this, when you make this statement that the Sefer Torah was not written Lishma, that the parchment was not ten Lishma, what is Ruben effectively saying? What is he saying? The Torah is invalid. If he says the Torah is invalid, what's the ramification of that statement? He's not getting paid. He's not getting paid. So such a such a dramatic statement like that that essentially deprives Ruben of his fee. Right? He's not going to get paid for this Sefer Torah because it is clearly invalid since he's believed, so, since, since literally, literally translated it means, once he's believed to deprive himself on his fee, from his fee, he is believed about the Sefer Torah, which is another way of saying, since the statement itself is going to cause him such a profound loss, we do not assume that a person is going to make up such a statement like that, and therefore he's believed. Top of Nun, hey, I, Umaishna, Umaishna But I will say, one second, one second. Why is this different than the previous case? Remember, what was the previous case? Ruven the Sofer, right, came before Rabbi Ami, and what did he say? The names of Hashem were not written at the Shema. And Rabbi Ami didn't believe him. Right? In other words, well, let me, let me add in one piece of information. Rabbi Ami says, who has a safer Torah? Ruven says, Ruven says, Shimon. Rabbi Ami says, okay, have a great day. Right, that's it. Nothing, nothing to talk about here. So why I will say? So why why do we believe why do we believe Reuven in the second case and not believe Reuven in the first case? So I will say this is incredible. It's possible in the first case that Reuven made a mistake regarding the statement of Rabbi Yirmiya. I will say now what did Rabbi Yirmiya ask him? Rabbi Yirmiya was the one who said that halacha even if for argument's sake a sofer didn't write the names of Hashem Lishma, that is a rectifiable error. Right? How is it rectifiable? You trace over it Lishma. Right? And therefore what? Haha Kevin the Kamafsid Kule Agre Vaasa Emar Kushtaka Amar. So we'll say now listen to this. So the Gemara wants to make the following distinction. See let's say a person here here's human nature. Human nature is that sometimes when I really dislike someone, I am I, and I want to cause them pain. I am willing to take a small loss to cause someone else pain, right? Human nature, right? Not the best of human nature, but human nature. What I'm not willing to do is to take a complete loss to cause someone pain. So watch this. In case number one, in case number one, where Sofer comes along, right? Ruben's delivered the Sefer Torah to, to Shimon. And then he comes along and he says, by the way, the names of Hashem are not written Lishma. They will say, the Gemara views it as, look, obviously assuming that the Sefer is no longer in his hands, but the Gemara views it as, it's possible he's lying. Now, why would a person make up such a thing like that? Because he wants to cause distress to Shimon. And he's willing to do it because they will say, the effect that it has on Ruvain will be minimal. Why? Because there's a way to rectify that, or at least he thinks there's a way to rectify it, which is, just trace over the names of Hashem, Lishma. So because it's going to cause Shimon a lot of Agmas Nefesh, a lot, a, light, a lot of inner turmoil, and it doesn't really cost Ruvain all that much money, 
We have to be concerned that he's lying. So therefore, if it's not in his possession, we're not going to believe him. But we'll say in the second case, where Ruvain says that the parchment was not created, was not tanned the Shema. But we'll say, what is the effect of that statement? Total loss. A person is not going to make a statement like that. A person is not going to make a statement like that if it weren't true. If it weren't true. In other words, to lose a little bit of money and cause someone else a great deal of pain, that's actually a good deal. That's a good deal. I'll take that deal, right? Unfortunately, some spiteful people will in fact take that deal. A total loss, a total loss that a person is not going to do. Hence the fundamental distinction between the two cases. So I so therefore, that's the distinction between the two cases. I will tell you, so first of all, let's, let's go back. So, for, so that, that, that closes out the sugya of Hezek She'enu Nikr. So, say, so remember again, yesterday we already saw the halacha lemais in that sugya. So once again, we pass in Hezek She'enu Nikr, unrecognizable damage that you visit upon someone else. We pass in Midaraisa, Pater, Midrabanon, if done intentionally, Chayiv, Beshogeg Pater. Along those same lines, again, the Raman Paskins, based on the Mishnah, if a Kohen makes, intentionally, makes a carbon pigle, ultimately, again, he's going to be chayv. He's going to be chayv. Ha'karim she'pigle ha'zevach b'mezit, this is the Raman, hilchos chovelomazik perek zayin halocha zayin, zayin zayin. If a Kohen makes a carbon pigle, intentionally, ultimately, again, he's going to be chayv. Beshogeg Pater. Very important halacha. Beshogeg, if he does it unintentionally, he's going to be Pater. They both say, let me show you one other piece of halacha that we're going to go on. What about the Sefer Torah case? Because they both say, this, this is a fascinating idea in general. If a sofer comes along and says, after the fact, after the fact, I did something wrong in the Sefer, do we listen to him or not? So they both say, so I'm going to quote to you from the Shulchan Aruch, Yaradeya, Simen Reish, Pei Aleph. Listen to this, get ready. Sefer Torah, Shamar HaSofer, La'achar, Shiyat, Samiyado, they will say, now remember, let, let, let's go ahead and, and point something out over here. In, in general, if you're in possession of an item, if you're in possession, you are believed to qualify the status of that item, right? So if a sofa wrote a Sefer Torah, and he has it in his hands, and he says, it's not good, so we believe him. Why? Because again, he has, he, ha- he has the item. The question really comes up, where Sefer Torah wrote the Sefer, wrote the Sefer, gave it to the purchaser, right? So Reuben was a sofer, gave it to Shimon, and now the sofer is coming forward with additional information. What do we do with this? So say, now listen to this. Sefer Torah, Shamar HaSofer, La'achar Shiatzim Yado. Lo kasafti ha'askaros l'shman. So Rebbe say, sofer goes ahead, Reuben delivers Sefer Torah to Shimon. After Shimon has it, Reuben says, I didn't write the names of Hashem l'shma. I didn't write the names of God with proper intention. Eino Neeman Lepaslo. Ultimately, again, he is not believed. He's not believed. Aval Neeman Ula Hafsid Koscharo. Falama Eino Neeman Lepaslo. Shemalon is Kavin El Lahafsid Alokeach Azeh. So we'll say, Sa'alokha Lemaisa, we're concerned, we're concerned that, we're concerned that Halokha Lemaisa, he's just trying to cause distress to the purchaser. He's trying to cause distress to the purchaser. And ultimately, again, I, why is he willing to do this? Because Halach says, I'm not going to cost him all that much. Because he thinks he's only going to lose the cost, so to speak, associated with writing the names of Hashem. However, if he says, if he makes the claim, by after delivering it to Shimon, the parchment was not tanned l'shma, was not tanned for the sake of Sefer Torah, then ultimately, again, mitoch shenema lahaf sitzcharo, 
Naman Lapaslo. It will say in that type of situation where his statement will result in a total loss, then Halach say he is indeed believed to say that the Sefer Torah will be possible. So I say, so interestingly enough, the Shulchan Arach actually adopts the ending conclusion of this Gemara itself. Beautiful. Mishnah. Hey, Rabbi Yochanan ben Gudgida. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Gudgida gave the following testimony. Al-Chareshes she'esiyah aviyah she'yotzeh beget. So say, this is an interesting case. Chareshes is a girl who is a deaf mute. Deaf mute. Now I will say, now understand something fascinating, which is a father has the ability to betroth his minor daughter. Right? That is, and, and remember, he has the ability to affect for her, to affect on her behalf, biblical marriage. Biblical marriage. Okay. So now watch this. Rabbi Yochanan Gurguda says that a father has the ability to, first of all, marry off his Chareshes daughter. Take a look at Rashi. Shesiavia, Rabusa Nakata Avagav, the Kabbalavia Kidushin Dida Kishikitana, Vahavile Eishes Ishkimura, Afiluhaki Yotse Begeto Mikabela Saskita, Viafagav de Les Beidaita. Supposed to now listen to this. Here's the novelty in this. Now, a father could go ahead and betroth or, or, or marry off his Chareshes daughter. Now, I will say minor daughter. Why can he do that? Because remember, again, once a father has the ability to go ahead and marry off his minor daughter, it means that that girl, the minor, does not need das. In general, the Kitana doesn't have das. So you see that das is not a prerequisite for a father betrothing his daughter. When I say father betrothing his daughter, he's not betrothing his daughter, he's betrothing his daughter to another, to another. So it doesn't, it doesn't require das. Wasn't doesn't require das, he could even do this if she's a harashas. That's not the novelty. But we'll say, what's the novelty? The novelty is that she can get divorced from this marriage when she becomes, let's say, when she reaches, let's say, the age of adulthood, ultimately by receiving a get. By receiving a get. Now, we'll say, now the Chiddush of that Rashi says, I'm finishing Rashi. We'll say, this is incredible. The fact that a woman could be divorced against her will indicates to us what? that a woman does not need das for gerishin. Once a woman does not need das intent, intent, right, for gerishin, since she could be divorced against her will, therefore even a chareshes could ultimately again be divorced. Now, say, now I just want to point out, why do we have to set this up as a case of a father marrying off his daughter as a chareshes? What's the, why? Because also remember again, although divorce doesn't need das of the woman, what does need das? Kiddushin, right? You can't get married without Das. The only case of marriage that could occur without Das, without specific intent, or really without capacity, is a father marrying off his minor daughter. That is a biblical right that the Torah has given to a father, that he has the ability to enter his daughter into marriage without her Das. So therefore, I will say, you could have a case of a father, of a father who marries off his Chareshes daughter, and that works. As she has no das, it's okay. For a father marrying off his minor daughter, das is not necessary. The chiddush is that she could get divorced with a get. I she doesn't have das, it's okay. Divorce doesn't require das. Why not? Vaharaya, since a husband has the ability to divorce his wife against her will, therefore you see from here that divorce doesn't require das, 
Therefore, even a charesh can get divorced. Incredible, incredible. So the Gemara says, next, Yalkatana Basisrael, Shenisis Lakoim, Shochalz Bachuma. I will say next case, a Kitana. And I will say, now this is talking about a case of also a minor girl who is married off. But in this case, I will say, remember again, she is married off by her mother or brother. Remember again, in the event that the father died, so there's no longer a father in the picture, Chazal made a specific rabbinic right that the mother or the brother have the ability to marry off the minor daughter as well. This was done for the benefit of the daughter that she would enjoy the financial security of marriage. If they marry her off to a Kohen, she has the ability to eat truma. Eat truma. Nervosa Rashi points out what type of truma? Truma dirabanon. Remember again, since she's in a rabbinic marriage, she only has the ability to consume rabbinic truma. Next, the mesa, and if this girl dies, this minor girl dies in this rabbinic marriage, baila yarsha, baila yarsha, her husband inherits her. Next, va'ala marish ha'gaza, say, so these are all different cases that Chazal and Zatira, say, this is a great case. Va'ala marish ha'gaza, shebano babira, she'ito as damav mipnei takhanas ha'shavim. So I will say this is incredible. Imagine the following situation. In general, I will say the halacha is, imagine the following scenario. I go ahead and I go over to Ruvain and I steal Ruvain's watch. Steal Ruvain's watch. And then you know what? I decide, isn't that the right way to live? I want to become a Balchuva. So I go over to Ruvain, I say, Ruvain, I stole your watch, I want to become a Balchuva. Here's, right, here, here, here's, uh, here's $1,000 for your watch. Ruvain says, it's on your wrist. Uh, give me back my watch if you're about Shuvah. I say, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, I really like the watch. I'm going to keep the watch. I'm going to keep the watch. But no one's in it. But I'm a good guy. And really, I'm about Shuvah. Here's the value. Here's the value. I want to give you the value of the watch. They will say, that does not work. In general, in general, if you steal something and the item is, the item is in existence, you are obligated to return the item. I will say, there is an exception to this rule. Listen to this case. In this case, Ruvain stole a beam. He stole a beam, a massive beam, a support beam. Support beam. I will say this was in his, this was in his uh, you know, you know, gun of days. And then what did he do? He built it into his home. He built a beautiful new home. Built a beautiful new home. And the beam, well, what do they call it? Like the architecture, you know, or the exposed, uh, exposed beams? Is that what it's called? Right, whatever. Anyway, so, so what happens? So right, the beam is right there. You walk into the living room and mamish, the beam is right there. Now Ruben wants to come in Balchova, right? He learns that Allah says, oh my gosh, I have to go ahead and deconstruct my home in order to return the beam. The Mishnah says, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. If you built the beam into the home, you do not have to go ahead and deconstruct the home to return the beam. Why not? Mipnei takonas hashavim. I will say, this is a takana, an enactment, so as to facilitate tshuva. I will say, look at Rashi, this is incredible Rashi, right across in Rashi. Mipnei takonas hashavim, shim Because if you tell Reuben has to deconstruct his home in order to return the beam, marish atzmo, Yimone melasos tshuva. He's not going to do tshuva. See, I will say, the incredible thing is, people are willing to do the right thing, as long as what? As long as it's not too complicated. The moment that doing the right thing becomes very complicated, most people will just simply walk away. See, if I will say, this is incredible. So we have, we being society, have a vested interest in people doing tshuva. So what we're willing to do essentially is 
bend the laws a little bit or make exceptions to the normative halacha so as to allow people to do the right thing. So the right thing is Ruvain, deconstruct your house and give back the beam. It's right there, give back the beam. say, if Ruvain has to choose between being about Shuva and, de- and deconstructing his house, what is he choosing? What is he choosing? He's choosing his house, right? I should say, if he has to choose between staying, staying a Ganov or deconstructing his home and returning the beam, he is going to stay a Ganov. Stay for in order to facilitate his trouble, we tell him, keep the beam, pay back the value. Incredible. Next, Vachata Sakzula, Shilonodul Rabin, was a, they also legislated about a, a stolen chatos. Stolen chatos. That ultimately, again, I will say, that was, that was not known to the public. Shimecha Paras. I will say, this is incredible. What this sounds like it's saying is, if you bring a stolen chatos, if you bring a stolen chatos, as long as its identity is, as a stolen chatos is not known to the general public, ultimately, again, it atones. It atones. Why? For the benefit of the Mizbeach. Right? So we'll see exactly what that means. Says the Gemara, let's analyze. Amar Rava, Medusa Shav Yochanan ben Gudguda, from Yochanan ben Gudguda's testimony, Amar Li Edim Ru'u Getzashani No Sinla. Well, so listen to the following case. Right? Ruven is about to, Ruven is married to Rachel, he's going to divorce her. Ruven goes over to two witnesses and he says, You see this get that I'm holding in my hand? I'm going to go ahead and divorce my wife with this get. Okay? Then Reuven goes over to Rachel and he says, kinsi So I'll say this is interesting. Now what happens? Now Reuven goes over to Rachel and he says, Rachel, here, take this document, take, take, take this loan document. So he tells Rachel, it's a loan document. Right? So we'll say, Ultimately, again, she's divorced. She's divorced. Then we'll say, now what's the logic of this? Why is it obvious? Because Gerushin divorce doesn't need das. Doesn't need das. Remember, what did Rabbi Yochanan ben Gudguda say in the Mishnah? That when the father married off his Chareshah's daughter, that she has the ability to get divorced through receiving a get. Aye, she doesn't have das. It's okay. Gerushin divorce does not need intent. Right, does not need mental capacity because she could be divorced against her will. So, so to in this case over here, Reuven takes a get, goes over to witnesses, says, witnesses, here, I'm about to divorce my wife, Rachel. Here's the get. He goes over to Rachel, he says, Rachel, this is a loan for you. Right, or a loan to you, or a loan document for you. She takes it, poof, they're divorced. They're divorced. To which the Gemara says, Pshita. So I don't understand, like, okay, it's kind of obvious, right? Rachel doesn't need, Rachel doesn't need intent, capacity, or even knowledge in order to be able to get divorced. So what's the Chiddush over here? Tuvish Nimrat says, no, no, no. Ma'udatema, kevan da'amar kinsi sh'tarchovzeh batulei batlei. See, I will say, this is a little bit different, because we'll say, there's a difference between not having specific intent or das in the context of a divorce process versus husband telling wife that the document he's giving her is something totally other than a get. Right? I might have thought that in this case, in this case, where he says to her, Acquire this loan document. That what? Batule Batle. Maybe he's changing his mind. He's changing his mind. And even though he told the witnesses this is a get, and obviously it is actually a get, then maybe he's actually changing his mind. If he really wanted to change his mind, who would he have said something to? He would have said something to the witnesses. He would have said to the witnesses, I know I told you guys I'm giving my wife a get, I changed my mind. Aye. So why does he tell her? Why does he tell her that it's a loan document? 
He's embarrassed. He's embarrassed. Or maybe he's just a wimp, right? You know what I was going to say? In other words, he's not embarrassed. He's probably scared. Right? So, so, lamaisa, so, lamaisa, so, I'll say, so that's the Chiddush over here. The Chiddush will say in this case is something very interesting that we already knew. We already knew that in order for a woman to be divorced, she could be divorced against her will. If she could be divorced against her will, then lamaisa means she does not require das. The Chiddush in this case, I'll say over here is active misrepresentation. So I might have thought that active misrepresentation ultimately, again, maybe is a negation of the get process. Kamash no. if he wanted to negate it, he would have said something to the witnesses. The fact that he told the witnesses, ultimately, again, this is a get, indicates to us that that indeed is his das. I So why does he tell her that it's a loan document? He's afraid, he's embarrassed. Good. So let's go back to back. So we'll say, remember again, next case was, next case of Rabbi Yochum ben Gudguda, was that which we also remember again is the case of a mother or a brother who is marrying off this girl, marrying off this girl, rabbinic marriage, they marry her off to a coin. she is permitted to go ahead and eat truma midirabanon. So the Gemara says, Ve'ilu chareshes lo achla. Now what we can infer from this is that a chareshes, right, a chareshes, ultimately I will say now, this is talking about a case of a chareshes who marries a coin on her own. Right, that a chareshes would not be permitted to eat truma if she married a kohen. So the Gemara says, "Ve'ilu chareshes lo achla." My time. What's the reason? Shema gzera, shema yachil cheresh bechareshes. Ultimately, I will say we would be concerned about a case of a kohen cheresh who is married to a chareshes that he may come to go ahead and give her truma. So the Gemara says, "What's wrong with that?" Falechol. What would be wrong with that? After all, that would be no different than katan ochal nevelosu. I will say it should be no different of a child who eats non-kosher food. I will say in general, there are circumstances where little, this is a cut and och on Avelos is an expression that's used that when someone who doesn't have das is doing an Avera, sometimes you could just leave it alone. Right? Sometimes there's not an active obligation to intervene. So if a Kohen who is a Cheresh is married to a Cheresh and he's giving her truma, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? In other words, neither of them have capacity. So the mice, again, it's, it's no different than a, chi- a child who's eating something non-kosher, which under certain circumstances, sometimes you don't have to intervene. To which the Gemara says, you're right, Gzeira, Shemiyachil Cheresh Bepikachos. So we'll say, what we're concerned about is, if you have a Kohen who is a Cheresh, a Kohen who is a Cheresh, married to a woman who is a bikachas, all right, a normal, typical woman, that ultimately, again, he may give her truma. And I will say, now, that's problematic. Why would that be problematic? Because halacha says, since she is a fully normal woman, if she eats truma, even though she's not really married, midaraisa, to the Kohen, that's a real problem. I have truma drabanon, but let her eat truma drabanon. Let her eat rabbinic truma. Because remember, again, you can affect rabbinic marriage with a cheresh. So let her eat, let her eat truma midrabanon, to which the Gemara says, asi So we'll say, that's what, what comes down from, essentially from this case, that's all I will say. So let, let, let's just trace the steps over here. So what the Mishnah told me was that halacha lemaisa, when a brother or a mother marry off their daughter's sister, Right, which you could do, which you could do, and that creates rabbinic marriage. Let's say they married her off to a coin, she could eat truma. She could eat truma. What kind of truma? Truma midrabanon. 
Shabbos say, so essentially what the Mishnah's teacher, Rabbi Yochum, does teach me is that when you have a rabbinic marriage, so rabbinic marriage to a coin allows you to eat rabbinic truma. So I just points out, by the way, there are other cases of rabbinic marriage, right? What's a good case of rabbinic marriage? Cheresh. Cheresh. So it sounds like over here that halacha lemaisa, if a chareshes marries a coin, could be you could have a case of rabbinic marriage, but apparently based on the Mishnah, you would not be permitted to eat truma in that case. Why not include the case of Cheresh? To which the Gemara says, you're right. The case of Cheresh, we're a little bit scared. Because if we allow, if we allow a consumption of truma in a Cheresh marriage, what we're concerned about, Rabosai, is the case of a koinu as a Cheresh who marries a typical normal woman, Bikachas. It could be that there could be marriage to Rabbanon. And what we're concerned about in that case is that if we allow for truma consumption, so husband Cheresh may come to give his wife Truma Daoraisa. Now, now, what happens if she consumes Truma Daoraisa? Very severe penalty. Right? Why? Because now she is a Zar, a non Kohen, and a woman who's not really married to a Kohen, she's only married to Midirabanon, consuming Truma Daoraisa. That is a very severe penalty. Therefore, what we do is we legislate that in any case of marriage with a Cheresh, there is no consumption of Truma. Even when, or even what, even Shuma Midrabanon. Incredible. Bala Marish Gazal Shabin. I'll say next case. Thief. Thief wants to become a Baltjuva. But the beam that he stole, he built into a home. So we do not force him to return the stolen item, but rather, again, we just allow him to pay the value. To which the Yimara says, Tanabanon, Gazal Marish Ubnabavira. If Ruvain is a thief, he steals the beam and he builds it into his home. Beishamai says, if you want to be a Baal you want to be a Baal deconstruct your home and give back the beam. So, Beishamai says, no, we do not make him deconstruct the home. Rather, we just go ahead and make him pay back the value of the beam. And that is enough. Why? Ultimately, again, for the benefit Literally, again, to enable, to facilitate, and to encourage people to do tshuva. So we'll say, this is a, it's a fantastic machlokis. And if you think about it, really what they're machlokis about, we'll say, what are they arguing about? They're arguing about what is the definition of a bal tshuva, of a bal tshuva. So Beishamai says, a bal tshuva is someone who eradicates all vestiges of his past life, of his past life. If you want to be a Balchuva, a Balchuva means doing a 180. Anything that was negative in your life, you have to expunge, right? You have to get rid of. And if there's any remnant of your formal sinful past, you're not a Balchuva. Stefan Beishamai says, Ruben, you stole the beam, you built it into your living room, right? And you love it because it's the exposed rafters in your living room. So now what happens? What happens, Beishamai says? Every single. Every single time you walk into your house, every single time you walk into your house, what do you see? What do you see? The beam that you saw, that's, you're not about Shuvah. You're still tethered. You're still connected to your past. And if you're connected to your past in some way, I, you paid the value, you're not about Shuvah. Beis Hillel says, Beis Hillel says, so is really saying two things. Number one, number one I was saying, who says that we have to adopt such a purist model to Shuvah? Many times in life, even when I want to turn my life around, it's virtually impossible to eliminate all vestiges of my past. There's always some residual. 
There's always some right, there's always something left. And often there's always something I can't fully disassociate or just disconnect myself from. So essentially what Beis Hillel says is, do not allow the perfect to be the enemy of the good. At the end of the day, it is better to be even a partial Balchuva than no Balchuva at all. So if it's a choice ultimately between becoming a Balchuva who is somewhat tethered to his past versus just remaining a Ganov, then ultimately again, be a partial Balchuva. Better to affect some component or some element or some part of the process of change than not to affect change at all. Because it's such a profound... And again, I want to point out, this in general is the Machol Gezei is always the purest. Beishamai, which is why I was saying, in the Messianic era, in Moshe Mashiach, we will paskin like Beishamai. Because in the Messianic era, we have the ability to live up to the standards of the purest. But in the non-Messianic world, you just got to go for good. You just got to go for good. Great is often not attainable, but really good is very attainable. Beishamai is describing the ideal process of tshuva. And Beishamai essentially says, I'm with you, I'm with you. But if that's the standard, if that's the gold standard of tshuva, most people won't measure up, and therefore society will have many fewer bali tshuva. So much better to have imperfect bali tshuva than no bali tshuva. No. We'll say such, and we'll say in general, this yisod, this yisod is one of the things that holds us back from accomplishing so many things. We'll say, how many times in life do we want to do something? We want to do something, and we say to ourselves, well, you know what? If I'm not, if I can't do it perfectly, I'm not going to do it. And I would say that stems from a good place. That stems from the Beishamai aspect of our persona. There's a beauty to that. The problem is we lose out on the accomplishment of so much good if we're only willing to settle for great. And I would say, this. so again, the goal is that, we know this, we know this from our own lives. So many things that can accomplish. Ah, it's not going to be perfect, you're right. There's nothing in life that's perfect. Only HaKadosh Baruch Hu is perfect. Nothing else in this world is perfect. But if you can do something really good, even if it's not going to be great, and even if it's not going to be perfect, go for it. Go for it. And we'll say, you see from here also how much society values tshuva. We want Bali tshuva. We want people to find the courage to turn it around. So much so that they're willing to leave, let, let Ruven live with that beam in his living room. He has to give the value. But society has a vested interest in people doing tshuva. Vaiter. Vachatas akzulo. We'll say about a stolen chatos. Remember again, so the Mishnah said that you're permitted to go ahead and offer up a stolen chatos. So this would be a case of the chatos is stolen. No, Mishnah said no one knows about it. The rabbins don't know about it. That is mechaper. Amr Ula, Devar Torah, Ben Noda, Ben Lo Noda, in mechaperes. Ula said really midaraisa, midaraisa. Whether people know about the chatos that is stolen, don't know about it, it's not mechaper. My taima, yeyosh kidei lokani. I will say yeyosh by itself is not going to rose. I will say, what's the case over here? The case over here is Ruvain. Ruvain steals a sheep from Shimon. And then what happens? Ruvain decides, you know what I'm going to do with this sheep? I'm going to give it as, I'm going to give it as a chatos. I'm going to be makdish it as a chatos. Right? And he offers it up. So now Ula says, Ula says, whether people know about the stolen sheep, don't know about the stolen sheep, it's not, it's not mechaper. It doesn't affect atonement. Why? Because Rebbe say, Yeosh by itself, without a transfer of ownership, without a transfer of domain, doesn't affect ownership. 
So we'll say, when Reuben steals the sheep, let's say Shimon says, you know what, I'm never going to get it back. So Shimon has Yeosh. He, he relinked right with What does Yeosh mean? Literally, Yeosh means despair. In a halachic sense, what it means is, you give up hope of ever recovering the item, thereby relinquishing your ownership rights. So now Reuben has the animal that has undergone Yeosh, but there hasn't been a transfer of domain. So Ula holds that Yeosh by itself, Yeosh by itself, without what we call a Shinoi Rishos, without a change of domain, does not affect ownership. Because of that, when Ruvain is Makdish, when Ruvain consecrates the animal, the animal doesn't become consecrated because it's not really Ruvain's to consecrate. Right? So why did Chazal say that if no one knows about, if no one knows about the theft, that ultimately again is Mechaper, so Kohanim shouldn't be sad. Listen, I wasn't in Let me just play this out for just a second. Ruvain steals the sheep from Shimon. Ruvain steals the sheep from Shimon. Now, we'll say what happens. Some time goes by. Shimon doesn't, right? He posted all of his signs on the telephone poles. Have you seen this sheep? Right? He puts a beautiful picture of him and the sheep by one of the family simchas. Right? It's, it's, all, it's all there. It's all there. We'll say, so what happens? Now, what happens? Some time goes by. Shimon doesn't get back the sheep. What does Shimon experience? What does Shimon experience? Yeosh. So I will say, so now what's the problem? So now Reuven has the sheep still. So now the sheep has undergone Yeyush. But I will say, remember, here's the issue. Here's the issue. So there's been no Shinoyush, no change of domain. So therefore, Yeyush by itself without a change of domain does not affect ownership. So now Reuven doesn't really own the sheep. What does Reuven do? He's Makdishit. They will say, what does that Hegdish do? What does that Hegdish do? Nothing. Why does it do nothing? You can only be Makdish something you own. So there I will say, so, but Reuven thinks it did do something. And he was Makdish as a Chatos. He brings it to the Beis HaMikdash. He, right, gives it to the coin. The coin shechts it. The coin needs to say, what is the coin effectively consumed? What is he consumed? Chulin Bazara. Because remember, they've effectively slaughtered a non-carbonic animal in the Beis HaMikdash, which is a very serious transgression. Now I will say, he can't operate this way because otherwise the Kohanim, so therefore Chazal stepped, Chazal stepped in and said, no, it is a good card. But as long as people don't know that it's stolen, we assume again that it's, we, we, we essentially make it a valid carbon. And they both say, why did Chazal do this? In order that the Kohanim shouldn't be sad. Because what do you mean Kohanim shouldn't be sad? So they both say, Kohanim are not going to want to offer up carbonos if there is this concern of stolen livestock sanctified as carbonos. And then Kohanim are never going to know is it a valid carbon, not a valid carbon? So in order that, quote-unquote, the Kohanim shouldn't be said, I would say Kohanim are very sensitive. It's not a joke. Remember again, Kohanim, what are Kohanim known for? Kohanim ragzonim ninu. Kohanim are angry. I will say, anger, anger is passion. Right? The other side of, the other side of anger, right? the other side of that passion is sensitivity. So Kohanim are very sensitive, very angry, very sensitive. It's like the worst mixture ever, right? <laughs> right? Very angry and very sensitive. But it's the two sides of the same coin. So we'll say, because they have this sensitivity, we won't, if a coin knows, so we'll say, can you imagine you're a coin, some guy walks off the street, right? Come on, so what happens? What does the coin do? It's called carbonic profiling. So we'll say, what happens? <laughs> yeah, that guy looks like a Ghanav. You know, he has that Ghanav look to him. So it's not going to be like, should I offer it? Shouldn't I offer it? Did he steal it? Did he not steal it? So Chazal realized he can't operate this way. So instead, what did they do? They said, as long as no one knows that this is a stolen animal, it works. 
It works. That's Ula. That's Ula. I'm really Rabban on the Ula. So the Rabbanon said to Ula, "Vahanam beTikonam is beachtanan." But what's the the Mishnah said? The Mishnah said that Chazal allowed this carbon to be offered if they tikkunam is yet for the benefit of the altar. Right? Is beach not the benefit of the kohanim? Amr lohem kevan the kohanim at seven nimsam is beach bottle. No, because we'll say if the kohanim are sad, what's the effect of kohanic sadness? The effect of kohanic sadness. Ultimately, nothing gets offered up on the Mizbeach. So that's what it means, we'll say. So in order that the Kohanim don't have to start profiling every single person that comes. And we'll say, the effect of that profiling is, they're just not going to offer up Karbonos because it's too much risk. We'll say, offering up Chulun Ba'azara is a very serious transgression. So if I have to choose between offering up Chulun Ba'azara and just not doing anything, it's not going to do anything. Sefer Chazal stepped in and said, no, unless you know that something is stolen, Assume that it is not. Offer it up. This is done for the benefit of the Kohanim, which is in essence the benefit that the Mizbeach will be used. Good. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says, no, no, no. Dvar Torah, be no da be lo no da mechaperes. Rabbi Yehuda says, the truth is, I will say the truth is, halacha lemaisa, if you have a stolen carbon, whether you know that it's stolen or you don't know that it's stolen, it actually still affects atonement. How so? My taima, yeyosh kedi kani. Because Yeyush by itself, Rabbi actually affects ownership. And Rabbi say, according to Rabbi Yehuda, listen to this. When Reuven steals the sheep from Shimon, after Shimon has Yeyush, what happens? What happens? Reuven becomes the owner even without a change of domain. So therefore, Rabbi say, even if the animal is stolen, Reuven is the owner. Again, he owes Shimon money, but Reuven is the owner. And therefore, again, Reuven has the absolute ability to be maktish the animal and bring it to Ezekar. But Ahmed Beis, and ultimately, so we'll say, why is it in a case, ultimately, where people know that the carbon is stolen? Why is it know the carbon is stolen that it's not mechaper? We'll say, this makes sense. You can't have stolen offerings being offered up. Because we'll if people know that it's stolen, we'll say, can you imagine, can you imagine, Reuven walks into, right, Reuven rolls into the Beis HaMikdash with his stolen sheep. Now remember again, is it his? Is it his? Is it his? Yes. Remember again, because Rav Yehuda holds that Yehosh Kedikani. Rav Yehuda holds that Yehosh by itself affects transfer of ownership. So once Shimon has despaired of recovering his sheep, Reuven does become the full-fledged owner of that sheep. He's got to pay Reuven for it, but he becomes the owner. Because he's the owner, he has the ability to go ahead and what? To go ahead and offer it up as a carbon. Now, was like, can you imagine, Reuven walks into the Beis HaMikdash, everyone knows that Reuven is a Ganef, but technically speaking, it's his sheep. See, he goes ahead, he offers up the carbon. We'll say, it looks terrible. It looks terrible. People are going to say, the Mizbeach, right? You could offer up stolen carbon on the Mizbeach. It's a Chilashan, you can't do that. So according to Ula, I understand why we set this up as a case of a Chatos. Because Rabbi again, remember, chatos, a coin eats from a chatos. And according to Ula, the whole issue over here is Kohanic sadness. Kohanic won't, Kohanic won't go ahead and offer up the carbon. So the Gemara, El Rabbi Yehuda, my area chatos, afilo olanam. According to Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi that this is a din that we don't want them as beach consuming stolen, stolen animals. So why do you have to set it up as a chatos? You can also set it up as a case of an Ola. Afilo olanam. The Gemara says, you're right, let me buy cover. Let me buy Ola the Kalilhi. But it's like, oh, is that saying Ola, which is totally consumed on the Mizbeach, that of course we can't have the Mizbeach consuming stolen items. 
Even a chatos. When a chatos, we'll say the only thing that's happening on the Mizbech is what? Is the chil of the fat, the dam, the blood. Right? V'idach kohanim achlile, afilu hachi gazr shlo yomru Mizbech ochon levelos. Rav Yehudu will still say, we'll say, even in the case of a chatos, where there's a relatively small amount of the animal actually gazr Mizbech, we still have a concern that if the animal is stolen, and everyone knows about it, that it looks like the Mizbech is consuming stolen items. Okay, so Tanan, Tanan, Achatas Akzul Shalono Dolorabim Shimichaperes Nedikun Amizbech. What did the Mishnah say? The Mishnah said, if you have a stolen Chatos, right, that is not known to the Rabbim, people don't know about it, so the Mishnah says, it is Mechaper for the benefit, right, Nedikun Amizbech. Benefit of Amizbech. So Gemara says, Bishlam of Ula Necha, according to all this makes sense, El Rabbi Huda Ipchami Bailey. But according to Yehuda, will say it should be just the opposite. To which the Gemara says, "You're right." This is what it means to say, "Lo no If no one knows about the fact that this animal is stolen, it's mechaper. No da mechaperes. But ultimately, will say, if it's known that it's stolen, it won't be mechaper. Why? Rabbi this is the takana. The takana is that people should not see, should not see. The Mizbeach consuming stolen carbonos. So ultimately, again, we'll say, see, according to Rav Yehuda, according to Rav Yehuda, technically speaking, any stolen chatos should ultimately be mechaper. Whether people know about it, people don't know about it. Why? Because once there's been yeyush, the carbon actually becomes the real property of Ruvain. And if it's the real property of Ruvain, ultimately, again, the carbon works. The takana is, if everyone knows that it's stolen, it will not be mechaber. Why? Because people shouldn't think that the mizbeach consumes stolen property. So massive rava, rava raised the kasha, ganav vehekdish v'achakach tabach. So it was an interesting case. Reuven steals an animal, steals an animal from Shimon, and then he's makdish it, then he consecrates it, and then he slaughters it and sells it. And I was saying, I remember again, halacha l'maysa, there's a bunch of stuff going on over here. When you steal something, there's generally a penalty of kefel, a double payment. If you steal something, slaughter it and sell it, then what? There's arba vechamisha, four and five time penalty payment. Here the timeline is very important. Ruvain stole an animal, right? Stole a sheep from, from Shimon. Then what did he do? What was next? That's step one. Step two, he's makdish and he consecrates it. After he consecrates it, then he sells it or slaughters it, right? So what's the halach, huh? He has to pay double payment to Shimon. But he doesn't pay the four or five time penalty payment. Rabbi said, why not? Because when he slaughtered and sold it, whose property was it? Whose property was it? The base Hamikdash. The penalty payment of four or five times only applies to another individual, does not apply to the base Hamikdash. But we learned about this. We'll say, if you did this outside of the base Hamikdash, Bachutz, right? Rashi says, Ishachat Bachutz. If you shechted this out, if you shechted this animal outside of the base Hamikdash, right? Ultimately, again, you're Chayiv Karis. So we'll say, so now watch this. You're Chayiv Karis. Now, E Amrit, V E Amrit, Yeyosh Kedi Lokani. So we'll say, if you hold that Allah Chalamaisah, Yeyosh by itself, ultimately, again, is not Kona. That means Ruvain was not really the owner of this sheep. So why would there be a chi of karis? I will say, now if he wasn't the owner, if he wasn't the owner, then what? Then his hekdish was invalid. If his hekdish was invalid, so I will say, where does the, if his hekdish was invalid, 
then he didn't shecht a sacrificial animal outside of the base of Mikdash. If he didn't shecht, because if he didn't own it, he can't be makdashed. So I'll say, so again, so let me, okay, I see some blank faces. Let, let me go back. Let me go back. Ruvain stole an animal from Shimon, stole the sheep. But I'll say, step one. Step two, he was makdashed. Step three, he slaughtered and sold it. So now, what did the Gemara say? He's chayiv kefel. He's chayiv kefel. He's chayiv double payment. Double payment. That's from the act of theft from Shimon. But I both say, but he is not chayiv arba v'chamisha. He's not chayiv the four or five time penalty payment. Why? Because that's a knas. You know, pay a knas to the base of mikdash. Fine. But I both say, however, the Gemara says, if he slaughtered it outside of the base of mikdash, he's chayiv kares. But I both say, now why? Because slaughtering a sacrificial animal outside of the base of Mikdash runs with the Rechi of Kares. Now says the Gemara, now watch this. Now this makes sense. Now if you hold that Yeyosh by itself does not affect ownership, then what? Then what? Then ultimately, why would he be Chayef Kares? So Kares Ma'avidite, because we'll say, if Yeyosh by itself doesn't affect ownership, that means that what? Ruvain never acquired it from Shimon. If he's not the owner, then what? Then what? then the hekdish is inconsequential, and therefore, again, there's no kares. So Rav Shizri, kares midivrayim. So Rav Shizri says, what are you talking about? Kares midirabanon. So the Gemara says, achichu alei. They laugh at Rav Shizri. Kares midivrayim mi'ika. Rabosai, kares midirabanon. What does it mean kares midirabanon? You don't get invited to Kiddush on Shabbos after davening? What, 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 is, what does that mean, Kiddush midirabanon? Right? Kares midirabanon. So what does that mean? So Mi'ika Amr Lehu Rava says this. Rava said Kavra Rava Amr Milsa Lo Tachik First of all, Rava says number one, when a great person says something, don't laugh, don't laugh. So I say in general, that's just good etiquette. Right? That's just good etiquette. A good person says something, don't laugh. But furthermore, again, I say there's another reason aside from the good etiquette is because often great people possess wisdom that often transcends what we simple people understand. And even if something does not make sense to my simple mind, doesn't mean that it's not true. So I think was, listen to this. Ultimately, I will say, what did he mean when he said, what did Rav Shizim mean when he said, he says, Kares, that occurs as a result, Kares as a result of a rabbinic law. What does this mean? What did Chazal do? Sometimes Chazal put something in your possession in order that you should become biblically liable. In other words, I will say, even if you hold that halacha l'maysa, even if you hold that halacha l'maysa, that, that yeosh kedei lokani, that yeosh by itself does not affect transfer of ownership, what Chazal, what Chazal did was for liability purposes, they made it as if it was yours. Now that they made it as if it was yours, when you are makdashit, it's a proper hekdish. And not only that, but what? But halacha lemaisa, Now when you shecht, and now when you makdashit, it's you, right? Proper hekdish. And now when you shechted it outside of the Beis HaMikdash, that is shchut dechutz. And therefore there will be actual kares for that. But I will say, but the kares occurred because of a rabbinic law. What's the rabbinic law? The rabbis put something in your possession that really biblically was not yours. Yeosh by itself does not normally affect ownership, 
but Chazal made it as if it did. Therefore, it's yours. Therefore, the hectic works. And therefore, when you go ahead and you shecht it outside, it's shchutechot. Incredible. This is certainly a question. When Chazal put this animal in your Rishos, did they put it in your Rishos from the time of, of theft or from the time of, that you made it hekdish? I will say the my nafkamino, what does this matter? Legizusa vlado seha. Ultimately, again, for shearings and for offspring. So I will say, see, here's the interesting part. See, here I will say, so we're being introduced to something very interesting over here. I will say, in general, in general, we paskin that yeosh by itself is not enough to affect ownership. So I will say, so yeosh only affects ownership when there's a shinoi rishus, a change of domain as well. So I will say, yet what we begin to see over here is that when you steal an item, right, Ruvain steals an item, and then ultimately, again, he's makdishit, Chazal penalized him. And how did they penalize him? They put it in his rishos. They made it as if he's the owner, even though, again, he's not actually the owner. So I will say, now here's the shaila. When Chazal penalized him and put this property in his possession so that now he is the owner, at what point does he become the owner? Is it now retroactively from the time that he stole it? Or only from the time that what? Only from the time that he was makdishit. Now, I'll say, what's the nafkamina? The nafkamina are any additional shearings or, or, or if the animal gives birth, who owns that? If you hold it as from the time of hekdish, then any shearings or any births, ultimately, again, until that time, belong to Shimon, the original owner of the animal. If it's from the time of theft, then the only thing Reuben owes Shimon is the value of the animal at the time of theft. Any subsequent shearings or births will actually belong to Reuven the thief himself. So the Gemara says, Rabbi says, What it means is, it becomes the property of Shimon. We put it in Shimon's possession from the time of the Hekdish, in order that Shimon not benefit from his act of theft. See, Rabbi says, if you put it in his possession from the time of the theft, then he'll benefit ultimately from any shearings or any births. In order that he not materially benefit from this act of theft, we only put it in his possession ultimately again from the time of Hector. Therefore, I will say, what comes out over here from the sugi is something very interesting. When Reuven steals an animal from Shimon, I will say, so even when Shimon experiences Yeosh, right? right? Shimon never hopes to get it back. He gives it, which essentially means what? He yields ownership. But the only way that Ruvain actually acquires that animal is if that animal leaves his possession and then comes back in. A shinoid rishos, or it doesn't leave his possession, a change of domain. A change of domain. Without a change of domain, Ruvain does not acquire it. It's not his. The exception to this rule, Abosai, only is, when is the exception to this rule? If Ruvain is makdishit. If Ruvain's makdish the animal, then say technically speaking, that hegdish shouldn't work because you can't be maktish something that is not yours, but for the purpose of penalizing Ruvain, Chazam made it as if it is his, that the hektish can work, and if Ruvain ends up shechting it, ultimately again, he'll be chayef kar. So I will say, a lot to digest, we'll stop over here for today. I will say, tomorrow, coming attractions for tomorrow. Tomorrow, kamsan bar kamsan. Right, I will say, an incredible, dramatic way, to prepare us for the Beinah Mitzarim. I will say, shkoyach.